to... I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah, he's trying to say it's red. It's red. Yeah. <laughs> but it's royal blue. And right. so, yeah, like every time I... I yeah. Every time I see it, I'm like, royal blue. Just <laughs> Jim Carrey voice. <laughs> I wish I had, like, I don't know how you would say it, like, the voice acting capabilities of Jim Carrey. Oh, I know. Right? He's, I mean, insanely good. Okay, Liz, speaking of insanely good, whatever new computer you have makes you look insanely good. <laughs> I think it's just that, like, it's morning light and it's very diffuse because it's very cloudy here. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what it you is. are. You look, you're glowing. Like, okay. I've also been using a couple new products. Okay. So. What are those products? Because <laughs> I need to look as good as you look right now. I got something with like real retinol, like a prescription. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like the same brand, I think, that does pros, but they have a skincare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called something. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I use pros for my hair and I get stuff all the time about like, let us do your skincare too. Yeah, so it's like... Actually, I guess, I don't know the difference. It's like tretinoin, tretinoin, tret, you know? Mm -hmm. Azalic acid and niacinamide. It's like mm -hmm. compounded into a okay. serum. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got an Instagram ad for this brand that's like the Inky List or something. And okay. it's um, basically like the ordinary. Their whole shtick is that they are just like we're simply we're like putting simple things in the ingredients and not like upcharging you okay so anyway i got their hyaluronic acid serum and their peptide moisturizer and mm. so far enjoying it well you look stunning <laughs> thank you i <laughs> i feel like we should get paid now for all the things that you just listed because you look gorgeous and uh, let me endorse you <laughs> <laughs> like you were like seemingly poreless right now you Ooh. were just looking in like kind of into the sunlight and i could see the green in your eyes and i was just like megan i might be falling in love with you today <laughs> it's okay <laughs> and I'm over here with I think I genuinely cannot remember the last time I washed my hair. Like Listen, that's me usually. I just <laughs> just washed on Thursday, I think, mm -hmm. because I knew I was going to get my picture taken at work on Friday. Wait, so. you haven't washed your hair since Thursday? Right. It looks amazing. Also, what is your secret for this? Okay. So this I can't. This is just my hair. Like, it looks better <laughs> if I don't wash it frequently. Wow. So. Yeah. Like, you look so well put together. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I like I we really... can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> We're done for the day. Yeah. <laughs> this is everything we needed. <laughs> I, I wanted to get up and, like, shower and like make myself look okay so that I could take like pictures because we've just been so lacking on Instagram and I just like want to I don't know do more for it but yeah like yeah. I woke up and I was like nah 
Like, it's not <laughs> happening today. Because <laughs> you had a busy day yesterday. I did. I've just, like, work and personal life has just been so freaking busy. Like, I barely have energy to take care of myself, which is not good. Yeah. I realized that this morning when I was when I said to myself, nah, I'm not going to shower. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, what do I need to do to make sure I have energy to take care of myself? Because I feel gross right now. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I think we all have, you know, it's not a plane. It's like hills and valleys. Mm -hmm. So I, if it makes you feel like you just really hyped me up. Like it, <laughs> but maybe Mike, I'm taking care of myself, but my house is like a wreck right now. <laughs> and there's no one else to blame but me. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm the only one here right now. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, well, welcome back to Bibliophilia and the Philosopher's Degrees. It's been a while. Yeah, it is. I was thinking about it. I don't know if we should um, be like, this is season two, or if it's just like, we're back from our hiatus, or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I think I think we put, like, we're having a seasonal break, so this could be season two. Season two, episode <laughs> one. <laughs> we're we're going to be talking about red, white, and royal blue. I really got into that with the facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. Something, <laughs> Jim. Uh, I think I'm funny, but I'm not. <laughs> no, you're funny. Oh. You're very funny. See, that's the way that you can hype me up. Like, that's <laughs> what I want to hear, is I want to know that I'm funny. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And so I tell this to Andy all the time. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, I'm funny. You don't laugh. Why don't you laugh more? Like, people think I'm hilarious. No, it's By people, I mean like my mom. <laughs> no, I think it's like, it's your Gemini moon and my Sagittarius Mercury. Like I feel like Geminis and Sagittarians like really like just want to be funny they want to be like the class clown kind of vibe. But yeah. it's not like, I mean, like, it's a pretty dominant placement in our charts. But like, yours is your moon. So you want to like, hide it a little bit. So mm -hmm. you're very like, I it's feel like, like how I feel. But it's not like what I put out there necessarily. Yes, yes. <laughs> but when you do put it out there, it's so like, what's the it's like an undertone. And for me, it's like, as a Sagittarius Mercury, I'm like, ha ha, I'm funny, ha 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 <laughs> Like, in your face about it, and I'm not being funny. <laughs> oh, I thought that was hilarious, <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Mm. All right. So, we, uh, first things first, gonna be the 30-second review, yes? Oh. You didn't prepare, did you? You forgot. Forgot. <laughs> yeah, but I can do it. I can do it. All right. Let me grab my phone. And I thought I was doing so good to remember, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we do a first sentence review. Mm-hmm. I know. I like, I, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we always need just a little bit of chaos, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why did my phone just turn off suddenly? That was weird. Okay. Hmm. Whoa. Whoa. Everything just like cleared. The phone forgot about the 30 second recap too. <laughs> they were like, we're going to give Megan like a couple more seconds to prepare. Okay. I got it. One, two, three, go. 
Um, red, white, and royal blue is about um, the first son of the United States and like a prince of England, <laughs> but not the one that's going to be king. And they hate each other, but then they have to pretend to be friends for international relations, and then they fall in love with each other. Um, but nobody knows they're gay and bisexual, and it's intense, and there's drama. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. <laughs> okay. I'm ready. Okay. Are you sure? No, but let's go. <laughs> okay. 30 seconds on <clears throat> the phone. And go. Okay, so Red, White, and Royal Blue is about Alex Claremont Diaz. He's the first son of the United States. And then Henry, I don't remember his last name because he's got like seven names. And he's the spare prince to the throne in England or whatever. Uh, they seemingly hate one another, but then due to like some sort of drama between the two of them they have to like pretend that they're friends and they find out that they're in love with one another they get outed against their will which is really traumatic it impacts a lot of political relationships and then they live happily ever after <laughs> hey i mean cool mentioning their names i like they're just figureheads you know? <laughs> they're men <Yeah. laughs> they're men in powerful positions <laughs> yeah well when I don't think about that part, I like them more. <laughs> Speaking of being funny, God, you're going to make me choke on my coffee. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's it. I forget how quickly 30 seconds goes when it's, like, staring you in the face. Yeah, well, I had the opposite effect uh, or felt the opposite thing this time because I was like, what else do I say? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know you like made this face of like what do I say like you had your eyes wide three seconds left <laughs> and then those three seconds are like treadmill seconds <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's the book in a nutshell How, mm -hmm. what, did you, what did you think about the first sentence what was your review of the first sentence okay so I'm gonna pull up the first sentence on the White House roof, tucked into a corner of the promenade, there's a bit of loose paneling right on the edge of the solarium. First sentence. And I, in the book, I wrote, ooh, fancy solarium. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think it's like an attention-grabbing sentence like some books have been in the past that we've read, but... I feel like it does its job because it sets the tone immediately. Like, okay. you just know this is going to be very politically heavy-handed at this point. Okay, so I knew the premise of the book going into it, mm -hmm. that these two men were going to fall in love. I thought, since it was, like, talking about a spot in the, like, a sort of secret spot, and then they, like, went on to talk about how Alex was, like, finding all these little hidden areas, like, within the first few weeks that he lived there. Mm -hmm. For some reason, my brain was like, oh, this is going to be, there's going to be, like, some sort of mystery about, like, the founding fathers <laughs> all being gay or something, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry for cackling straight into the microphone. That just caught me off guard. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be, like, breadcrumb clues all out throughout this book of, like, love notes hidden from, <laughs> I don't know, 
John Adams to <laughs> Thomas Jefferson or something. Um, so that's not what happens, guys. It's just, um, you know, that Alex is good at finding little things like that, <laughs> I think. And it's setting the tone for like, you know, we're in the White House, it's political. <laughs> Honestly, I would read that book that you just <laughs> described. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the reason that Burr hated Alexander Hamilton so much. Oh, yeah. Because he was gay yeah. for him. Oh, I would I would read that. Somebody get that fanfic going. I bet it already is. Yeah, I was about to be like, trademark, but no, it probably <laughs> definitely exists. Have you noticed that, like, what we were just talking about made me think that, like, I think um, more authors are feeling, like, emboldened to go back and sort of interpret female friendships as like more than friendship mm -hmm. you know what I mean like mm -hmm. I feel like there's been like a resurgence in that mm -hmm. but everybody else is like no men the older men are just friends they're best buds <laughs> they never <laughs> they never except for like Achilles and Patrocles but um <laughs> otherwise I'm like I'm not picking up on any, I can't think of any other like recent retellings that have been like, yeah, and then they fell in love. Okay, well, that's a great fucking segue into one of the points that I made. When Henry is educating Alex on like English queer history, yeah, and he mentioned that the reason that King James trans like had like the retranslation of the Bible of man shall not lay with child to man shall not lay with man is because King James was gay or bisexual, whatever, and had this like illicit affair with George Villiers of Buckingham. And I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold <Yeah>. on. <laughs> that like blew my fucking mind. I had never heard of that. Did you? No, no, not at all. Did you do I... any research on it? No, I um was like I'm, I'm I'm I believe in Henry. Like I believe what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> he's fictional, but I believe him. No. Yeah. I and the only reason I asked is because I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to like steal like anything that any work no, that you had ahead. done, but yeah, I I looked it up. And so the reason that they they think that they were having an illicit affair was because of their correspondence back and forth and like Okay, listen, George, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly either. George Villiers? Sounds right to me. I just feel like it's, since it's British, like I have to like put something fancy to it, but <laughs> maybe not. Like he was a simp for King James. Like he like signed his letters like your dog. Like oh. I am your dog. Oh. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, loyal he got a companion. <laughs> Do what? A loyal companion. Oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's how that that's how they determined that they were having an affair with one another. I was just like blown away because I'm pretty sure it's what is it like Leviticus 18:22 like is where that quote is where that like man right. shall not lie lie with man. And I'm like, so the quote that everyone uses from the Bible to justify their homophobia is literally been mistranslated intentionally because mm -hmm. the person who mistranslated it was gay. 
or queer by whatever use whatever book that you like I guess as like a moral code as a Mm -hmm. like whatever you need some like moral guidance because maybe you don't have it internally okay that's fine but like Mm -hmm. taking a book that's that old and interpreting it as like literal rules that you have to can't follow or don't can't can and can't do in life Mm -hmm. like a book that's been translated into so many different languages before it made it to modern english like by people with agendas so just Mm -hmm. like come on guys can can we can we not do that (laughs) please please yeah and then you live by it okay don't make other people (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. okay I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I was just like, it blew my mind to learn that because I was like, okay. <laughs> so, Megan, let's see. What other things do you have that you want to discuss? So, the big thing for me was the sort of the facade or like the outward presentation of ourselves versus like who we are internally. Mm-hmm. I think Alex and Henry were like perfect examples of that. Alex is the first son of the United States. <laughs> and so he's, you know, like, I think they even say America's golden boy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Texan, which... Mm-hmm. Um, as much as they want to secede from the united states they're like the most like stereotypical american like they're the perfect illustration so it's uh, yeah really ironic (laughs) yeah i mean like you couldn't have picked a more perfect state to make (laughs) like a a hypothetical president and first son Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. part of um but he's also a mexican-american I think, like, to the media, he tries to present as, like, like a partier type of person, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, somebody who cares about policy but also has fun with his sister June and his their bestie, Nora. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think those things are true. Like, obviously, being a Texan is a big part of his identity. Being Mexican-American is a big part of his identity. But they're the things that, like, he's, like, comfortable showing on the outside Mm -hmm. and then on the other side of the atlantic there's henry who is uh the spare prince the the spare not the heir and he is so stoic and like i just like the most vanilla human being (laughs) and my impression of him is like come sort of colored by the fact that I just watched the movie a couple nights ago and they made him like uncomfortably white. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say insufferable, uh, but I think both of those things are interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and so Henry realizes Henry knows that he's gay um, and, and keeps it like very tightly buried Mm -hmm. and for the good of England, you know, um, and, <laughs> but Alex is so like, no, this is my identity. America's golden boy. I'm a Texan. I'm a Mexican American. I am going to be the youngest congressman ever elected that like, those are the things he's so 
keyed into but as a part of his identity that he doesn't even realize he's bisexual until he like starts to have feelings for henry mm-hmm. even though there's like as uh nora would put it data in the past that would suggest <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i was thinking about that like because i think about it a lot anyway like how we present to others versus how we are inside mm-hmm. i started to think about like what is the thing what's the catalyst that makes you start to show what's more inside on the outside, like open up more, present yourself differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And like for those two, it seems to be that, I don't know if it's being outed, if it's falling in love or if it's being outed. What do you think? Oh, that's a really good, that's a really good question. One thing I I want to say, it's like that they fell in love. I, I, I think so too. And like one thing I wanted to point out about Alex as well is that I think Alex really thought of himself as a very authentic person that projected ex- on the outside exactly who he was on the inside. But like the feelings that were stirred within him when he realized he had feelings for Henry, he was like, oh, there's actually a whole lot more to me that I didn't realize. Yeah, like, because he's also kind of an unreliable narrator. I don't know. It's third-person perspective, but it's also told from the perspective of Alex, so it's kind of weird. He's What you were saying about with Nora is that she mentioned, like, his... Or he mentioned to her in a conversation, like, Liam, his high school best friend. And then, like, he self-reflects about, like, oh, I mean, if I were gay at, at, like, I would know that, like... Because I kissed Liam a bunch and I yeah. never had any sort of like identity crisis about that. And if I was gay, then I would be having an identity crisis. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck kind of logic is this? First uh, yeah. of all. Yeah. Oh, no, I feel like he finally gets there and he's like, oh, I don't think straight people have to work this hard to convince themselves they're straight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so I think... It was, for Alex, it was a reckoning of like, oh, I'm not as self-assured as I thought I was. Whereas Henry, come like, he is actually incredibly self-assured. He knows exactly who he is, what he wants, but he knows that that's in direct opposition to this projection that he has to put out to the world. Whereas Alex is like, oh, I'm exactly who I say I am. Yeah, yeah. And And Henry, Henry, it's so, like, tragic that he, like, exactly what you said, he knows it, has a very good understanding of who he is and, like, what he's about, but Mm -hmm. he's like, ah, it doesn't really matter, it has to come second to my role as the spare, his his royal highness, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, the catalyst, going back to what you were saying, the catalyst being in love or being outed. Like, I want to, I want to believe they would eventually be like, oh, and by the way, mm -hmm. we're in a relationship. But there was definitely something that forced their hands by Mm -hmm. when they were outed. Okay. So for context, anybody who hasn't read the book, uh, it's really fucked up. And I actually wish that they had not cut this from the movie, but the presidential can the republican presidential candidate that alex's mother what is her name helen or ellen 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 Ellen. 
I was like, I don't want to refer to a female president as like a dude's mom. So yeah, I need yeah. to know her name. So Ellen <clears throat> Claremont is running against this uh, Republican candidate named Richard Harris, right? Is his name? Yes. And he breaks in to the White House server and steals all of the email correspondence between Henry and Alex, which, by the way, are very, very steamy. They are. If um, There's a couple of quotes that I'm going to pull out later, but I'm like, if my lover is not talking to me this way, I don't want it. Like, they're steamy, but they're also so, like, romantic and passionate, but there's banter. Like, she did a really good job writing their love story. I was very impressed by it. But anyway, so this dude steals all of these emails and is stalking these two, like, boys. I never want to, like, discredit people that are in their late teens, early 20s as being, like, their own adult self, but they're still they're still so young compared to this dude who's probably what like at minimum in his 50s so their their titles are literally first son and first daughter mm-hmm. which like they're children they're the children of this woman mm-hmm. so maybe they're like young adults but their role in this administration is as the children of this woman mm-hmm. so he's literally using extremely private and personal correspondence mm-hmm. of a child of his opponent. Yes. And leaks it to the press mm-hmm. to then push his own narrative and agenda of like I'm a cl- like I'm a classic like white cishet male American, I'm the best representation of this country, then you find out that he's actually a fucking predator. Yep. So this is, like, very traumatic for both of them. And it does force them to then come out. I think that they would have come out on their own. I really do. I had a lot of faith in them because the way that their relationship worked is that they gave each other strength and brevity. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think Alex was so focused on not doing anything that could hinder his mother's like campaign Which that he would have is bullshit, sorry. Um I just <laughs> that makes me so mad. He's like I can't come out right now until after my mom wins this election. Yeah. Which I honestly think I mean, I can't remember if it's in the book, too, but in the movie, he's talking to, is her name Zara? Oh, yes, Zara. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, did I just cost my mom the election? And she's like, you might have, but you might have also just, like, won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's so internalized in our psyche that, like, anything other than traditional values in our our leadership mm-hmm. is, like, a, a downside. Mm-hmm. But really, like, you might look at it and be like, okay, well, like, he mobilized, like, a young, younger voter turnout who is, like, very supportive of queer people and very supportive of an, an administration that supports that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's, like, sad that it's automatically assumed to be a con or a negative mm-hmm. um, and that he has to keep it inside, internalized, 
until they're, you know, not going to be up for re-election again. She's in her second term, so it's mm-hmm. not going to be a divisive thing. Mm-hmm. My brain is processing everything you just said. I feel like Alex would be the one to be like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I actually wonder when Henry would feel like he was ready. Yeah, that's true. I I do I I do actually have a lot more faith in Alex to be the like cap, like the catalyst, the initiator into mm-hmm. l- like let's do this because his family were way more accepting than Henry's was. There's a lot of abuse happening in Henry's situation. His father uh is deceased. What was it? Cancer? Car wreck? I think so. Can- I, think, like I thought it was cancer. Yeah. And his mom is just completely detached. So she's been neglectful because that was the love of her life. She defied her mother, the Queen of England, to be with this person. And the Queen of England got her hands on Henry's older brother, Philip. Then Philip began abusing him and their sister Beatrice, or B. So... Henry's situation is definitely more complicated, but there is one thing, too, that I think they said in the movie, but not in the book, where Alex was like, I just want to remind everybody that the royal family are just figureheads. They don't do anything. Yeah, they're just a symbol. Yeah, and it has been impressed upon Henry in very abusive ways that he can't be gay. Right. That's not the example, but going or like, back to... he can be, but he is under no circumstances allowed to let it come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Like, it has to stay private. Which is going back to the whole, like, King James and George Villiers. Very... <laughs> I mean, Henry himself even says, like, okay, so we can reconcile, like, the inbreeding, the racism, the genocide, the imperialism, but we draw the line at being gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, like, real life, too, mm-hmm. it's it makes me think of the whole Meghan Markle thing and, like, all of the mm-hmm. nasty things that supposedly were said about how their children will be mixed race. Harry and Meghan's and they're like so like we we can justify all of the literal horrors Mm -hmm. that colonialism and imperialism Mm -hmm. have wrought Mm -hmm. (laughs) but geez Louise marrying someone whose mother is black Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just like god no oh gosh and that I mean Alex is mixed race yeah yeah. Wow. I, I hadn't, I did actually think of the Meghan Markle uh, situation when I was reading this, but I didn't draw the parallels between her and Alex, actually, which is, hmm, interesting, a good point. But yes, hypothetically speaking, I would say that the catalyst would be love because they, their love for one another pushed them to start developing plans to come out on their own terms. And a lot of that did have to do with Henry's trepidation. Yeah. It was so interesting for me to, for him to have that, like, trepidation about coming out and being, like, revealing that part of himself. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, like, how he kind of shirked all the other parts of being a royal. Like, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that he wanted to use 
the royal funds for um, philanthropy, like, Mm -hmm. which I think is a classic royal thing. Mm -hmm. He, like, didn't even touch his inheritance. He just lived off of, like, his father's money. Mm Mm-hmm. That, to me, was, like, a very, um, like, staunch, very secure, in my beliefs, mm-hmm. um, thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to touch any of the money that is basically blood money mm-hmm. unless it's to spend it in my philanthropy. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to live off of the money that my father um, earned through acting. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, distancing himself already, mm-hmm. but he still couldn't, like be that distant that distant or that unique or separate other Mm -hmm. until alex came along i was gonna say i think alex is definitely the balance to all of that because he can take so much initiative in being authentically himself yeah and i think that he if if it had been able if it had played out the way that they wanted to on their own terms I think they would have eventually come out, but Henry would have definitely needed a lot of Alex's help and encouragement and support. Yeah. Just, yeah, because there's just, that was one thing that I put on here that, uh, for like something to discuss as well is like, there's not really an unpacking of their, of Alex's and Henry's internalized homophobia. There's like there's yeah there's a focus on the external homophobia that we see when they're outed against their will by a predator, but there's not a whole lot of exploration of their own internalized homophobia because Alex didn't even think that he was remotely gay, queer, bisexual until he was in love with Henry. <laughs> and Henry has been so abused to think that who he is cannot be, like, who he actually is cannot be the role that and the image that he projects onto others. So yeah. that those that's a lot of abuse and an internalized homophobia. And I'm so glad that they didn't take it out on one another. Oh, but there's yeah. a lot of self like abuse not that they like physically harmed themselves but the way that they spoke about themselves internally was just awful when they're they're truly very amazing individuals it's interesting it's kind of wild to me that like in their conversations and in their emails to each other they love each other like Mm -hmm. deeply Mm -hmm. um and love like parts of each other like literally are like I'm thinking about your dick and I miss it so much um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I'm like okay so you know that you're with like a queer person right mm-hmm. so like why and you love them and you adore them and like all the parts of them right mm-hmm. so you can't but you can't see that for yourself like you mm-hmm. can't love yourself that part of yourself and it's it's really sad but I think it's like probably pretty common and it's sorry my brain just keeps being like RuPaul voice if you can't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love anybody else <laughs> um but like I I just think that's something that has to be addressed and like maybe as they stay together longer that's something that they can work on but probably like they both need to go to therapy yeah for sure. 
<laughs> I mean, they're both insomniacs. They push each other. They push themselves to like beyond a point. Like their bodies, they're lucky because they're like what twenty one and twenty three in this. But when you're that young, your body recovers quicker. But just give it like I mean, Henry's got maybe five years left before <laughs> his body is like no, bro. Well, we, we can't do this. Doing this. I think that's like the bit of self-harm that we see is that they don't take care of themselves in a healthy way. Oh yeah. And I well. think that's like part of um, a DC lifestyle, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is like grind, 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 mm-hmm. and then party, 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 and then grind, to <laughs> grind, grind uh, some more. Yep. Um, and so I think you're right. It's like, it's hard on you physically and mentally where do you like once you hit a certain age like really where do you go um mm-hmm. like how do you maintain that mm-hmm. um and, and Alex it's also is gonna go into law school yeah <laughs> talk yeah. about like it, whatever he had going on at his undergrad like law school going into that shit like it's about to get way worse for him Mm-hmm. and hopefully like by being together because they, like, they can sleep when they're together, right? Their insomnia <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> isn't so bad. So, I mean, maybe... I don't ever want to think that, like, the thing is, like, you complete me. Because <laughs> I think we have to be complete people mm-hmm. ourselves. And then, like, meet another complete person. And you have to be... You can't look to others for, like, fixing parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't think. So, I don't want to say, like, they complete each other, but, like, (laughs) they can be supportive of each other and, like, make each other better mentally and, I guess, physically, too, if we're, like, talking about just, you know, sleeping and drinking less. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I can tell them in my 30s because when it's talking about them, like, going out to karaoke or, like, going to the house in Austin and they're just like shots, drinks, (laughs) beers, cocktails, margs. I'm like, oh God, your tummy. (laughs) I, for me, I was thinking like the amount of sugar in all of that. Uh Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my God. What is happening? Okay. I think it's gone. I'm going to leave it in. Anyways. (laughs) Well, so that was something that I had written down as well of something to go over. Okay, my voice is just going to do this now. But um, whenever you were talking about we can't look to other people to complete us. And I have like three things. So the first one being that whenever I was researching like philosophical theories of soulmates, The first one, the only one that always comes up is Plato's Symposium, Uh which for those of you that don't know um, about Plato's Symposium, it's actually not even his idea. It was a poem or like it was something Aristophilus, the poet, talked about this, about how human beings were actually like two heads, four arms, four legs, and... Zeus was like enraged by this concept of soulmates that he threw down lightning and struck these people apart 
And that's how we exist today as like one head, two arms, two legs. And the intention is, is that you're supposed to spend your life finding that literal other half of yourself. I don't buy into that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very fantastical, if that's the correct word. So what I ended up doing, because I love Nietzsche, I think he's a very misunderstood philosopher, but I went and looked up his theory of soulmates, and I found this article. I will um, make sure that I link it in our show notes, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it, and then I have a question. Oh. A Nietzsche question. Oh. <laughs> okay, so just bear with me because I'm going to read uh, one, two, four paragraphs. Okay. What could Friedrich... <laughs> okay <clears throat> what could friedrich nietzsche have to teach us about love more than we might suppose speculations about his sexuality abound did he really contract syphilis at a bordello for instance and what about lou salome so nope did he love her or were his feelings towards her something she exaggerated the answers to these questions vary. What can be found in Nietzsche's letters is that he had quite a few friendships with educated and musical women throughout his life, and he thought about love and marriage. His solitude and corresponding loneliness, often assumed to be a matter of preference, were predicaments of his nomadic years, when he had to travel to seek out the best climate for his ailing health. Even during these times, between physical suffering and intense periods of writing, he pursued the company of learned women. Moreover, Nietzsche grew up in a family of women, turned to women for friendship, and witnessed his friends courting. Nietzsche also did not fail to express his philosophical concerns about the idiosyncratic characteristics of love in his writing. He uses his provocative style, which aims to make his readers feel uncomfortable about their values and assumptions, in his aphorisms on love and the gay science. Nietzsche's penetrating study of love here is one trajectory of his larger project in this book of joyful or gay science. Wait, I have to pause. Why are you laughing? Am I making weird faces? No, I'm laughing because you said, that because they slipped in the word penetrating right after they were talking about Oh my gosh. Nietzsche's gay science. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm like 12 years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I didn't catch that, so good call. <laughs> good pointing out. I, okay. I was like, the writer here was like, yeah, I'm going for it. Penetrating. <laughs> I wonder if they're a Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. Nietzsche's penetrating study of love here is one trajectory trajectory of his larger project in the book of doing joyful or gay science in which life itself has become a problem and must be interrogated examined more deeply and severely than one of his previously attempted one of Nietzsche's most important intellectual strategies is to question the boundaries between traditional oppositions by collapsing our presumptions about the the essential qualities of the things held to be opposed. In this respect, love is no exception. By calling our attention to the base, vulgar, and selfish qualities of heterosexual, erotic, or sexual love, 
Nietzsche aims to strip love of its privileged status and demonstrate that what we conceive to be its opposites, such as egoism and greed, are in many instances inextricably bound upon in the experience bound up in the experience of love. Thus, we can recognize Nietzsche's goal of humanizing life through a provocative aff affirmation of the dissonance inherent in erotic love. In doing so, Nietzsche disassociates love from its otherworldly Christian Platonic heritage and so asserts his ethical claims concerning the value of the earth over the otherworldly and the truth of the body over the sacred. To see how Nietzsche achieves these goals, let's turn to a number of selections from the text. So I have two more paragraphs after this, but I just want to say like this really brought me back to like undergrad where especially when they're like, let's turn to a number of selections from the text because <laughs> I just remember like typing out so many times uh, and Kierkegaard illustrates these points by the following or something like that. Uh-huh. So it just it brought me back. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I need to go by this. I need to like read this sentence by sentence I okay so I and found, like examine the word choice <laughs> right that's like the thing about philosophy is the word choice is like so intentional uh-huh uh, okay so the first love is animal instinct Nietzsche undermines any self-deceiving idealism about love through the exposure of its less attractive motivations in section 14 of the gay science entitled the people, the things people call love, Nietzsche challenges romantic conceptions of erotic love with the claim that love may be the most ingenious expression of egoism. He proposes, oh my God. Right? <laughs> he proposes that love is close to greed and the lust for possession. Love is an ex an in instinctual force related to our biological and cultural drives and as such cannot be considered a moral good. Moreover, the socialization of these drives often results in prejudice and even psychological suffering, particularly for women. However, he makes no obvious effort to convince his readers that love in its self-serving expressions should be changed, nor does he suggest that even the most pervasive delusions in love must be rectified. Instead, he observes that the strong human propensities towards illusion in erotic love are necessary for that love to be successful. And he praises some of the creativity of the artistry of love and the roles people adopt. Men and women play out these roles differently, and Nietzsche spends considerable time emphasizing the dramatic distance the, dex the sexes are from each other and the ways in which they love. Huh. Nietzsche's attempts to expose the, mo the more selfish motivations that underpin erotic love are clearly illustrated in Aphorism 14. Here Nietzsche claims that it is the urge to possess and assimilate, to change something new into ourselves that is behind the experience of both love and greed. Nietzsche writes, greed and love, what different feelings these two terms evoke. Nevertheless, it could be the same instinct that has two names, once deprecated by those who have in whom the instinct has calmed down to some extent and who are afraid for their possessions. And the other time, seen from the point of view of those who are not satisfied but still thirsty, 
which okay pause are we did Nietzsche coin the term thirsty oh yeah yeah he did (laughs) yeah he did I I was like whoa okay he was ahead of his time Uh Uh, okay and who therefore glorify the instinct as good in other words the experience of both greed and love are the same drive or instinct but depending upon the level of satisfaction one has achieved this drive will alternatively be named greed or love satisfied people who feel their possessions their lover for example threatened by others will name others instinct for gain greed or avarice whereas those who are still searching out something new to desire will impose a positive evaluation on that instinct and call it love so erotic love is really a drive towards possession that has been glorified and deified by those in search of acquiring something to enrich themselves. Here, the notion of love is altruistic and the opposite of greed is placed into doubt. We can recognize the undertones of Nietzsche's larger project to destabilize the assumed moral status of binary moral opposites. So, in short, my question is, and also before I state it, I want to acknowledge the importance that you know this is definitely discussed through a heterosexual lens but do you think love is greedy i know i don't know i think i would argue that love and possession or greed are like separate things and they can be like easily confused for the other Mm -hmm. i I don't i don't think like i think nietzsche is making like really good points i do because i but i think like the truest love is probably one where you don't feel that instinct to own and possess. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're like, I, I guess we could say we're like in a secure attachment style. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like you might see your lover, your partner out um, having conversation or like an animated conversation with someone mm-hmm. that they could be attracted to, but you are like they love me and i love them and it's fine Mm -hmm. like you don't feel the threatened feeling i think Mm -hmm. and if you do feel the threatened feeling that doesn't mean that you don't love them but i think it is like probably on the scale maybe or on like a spectrum you're not over to that like pure secure Mm -hmm. love and that's that's what i got um <laughs> I last night I I binged watched the second season of Fleabag. Have you have you watched that? I haven't, but I've heard it's like amazing and I need to watch it. Plus Andrew Scott is Oh huh? god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so in in the second season, Fleabag falls in love with the hot priest, Andrew mm-hmm. Scott. Mm-hmm. And he's literally a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. And so like his it made me think a lot about what you just read. Like, are is there a desire for each other about wanting to take? Like, mm-hmm. Fleabag is like, it doesn't matter if you're a priest. Like, priests have sex. Priests be in relationships. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm meant to love, like, as a father. Like, this is my calling. I'm not... Is she... I was just thinking about, like, this this love story, like, breaks my heart and makes it ache in all, like, the right ways. And so I'm like, 
she's not being greedy. She just really loves him and they have a connection. <laughs> but, but now she, I'm, it sounds yeah. like she does push him a conver- like into conversations that he's just not comfortable with. Oh, yeah. They're... Please watch. Oh, okay. my God. Please okay. watch it. Um, okay, so pause <laughs> again with TikTok because I always have to, like, relate something back to TikTok. But the uh, what started me seeing a bunch of stuff about it was uh the sound on tiktok that was going around i was like i want to fuck a priest and then her therapist is like catholic looks good on the uh and she's like yes and then the therapist is like do you want to fuck the priest or do you want to fuck god God? can you fuck god oh yes I was like, I I need to see this, but I also know that it's going to break my heart. And I have a very, like, (sighs) precarious relationship with love right now. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I might be too fragile for this. But it's so good. I mean, like, (laughs) I love love. Like, I love reading it Mm -hmm. and watching it. And um, the buildup is just so, like... I love the sexual part of it. I love the intimate part of it. I love the romantic mm-hmm. part of it. I love, like, f- the other person finding out details about the new person. Like, I just eat it up. And so I think that's part of the reason, like, I loved Red, White, and Merle Blue so much. But Fleabag and the Hot Priest, like, <laughs> no. I, I, I... <laughs> I just you're can't. You just have. I'm speechless. I was like, you're literally at a loss for words over this right now. I mean, like, I love Alex and Henry together, mm-hmm. but watching two people that are fucked up mm-hmm. find a connection and like see themselves in the other, but in like a good way, mm-hmm. um, and fall in love is just so amazing. Um, and it's like. It humanizes, like, I'm, I'm not a religious person, and I have a lot of bones to pick with Catholicism, <laughs> but, like, watching that, uh, that series, it humanizes him so much, mm-hmm. and it humanizes her, and she's, like, such a fucked up individual mm-hmm. in so many ways, but the fact that I can have empathy for both of them makes me like feel like I can have empathy for my fucked up self too yeah anyway you should (laughs) you should it's it's just so it's gonna fucking break your heart but (laughs) it's also gonna do so much good too (laughs) and that's my plug everybody watch Fleabag (laughs) the first season is tough so just go to season two and then go back to season one um like and subscribe to Megan yeah oh man i freaking love love it so much um but anyway back to your question i would say it just depends (laughs) love and possession and greed Mm -hmm. Uh, i do think they can be all on the same page um yeah what what is that kind of what you were thinking what were your thoughts so right now you know, I have a very complicated relationship with love. And so I feel like my, like, my feelings about it are all over the fucking board right now. One of the things that I thought about was, I mean, 
greed is speaking of Catholicism, a seven deadly sin. There is so much baggage and I want to say like sinification. I don't know what the (laughs) word would be for it, but vilification, vilification of greed. And I'm like, and I was thinking about it. My, my question was like, but is that, is it such a negative thing to be greedy when you're in love? Yeah, bitch. I love that. Yeah, like, like, obviously not, like, don't be toxic about it. Like, you know, don't be, like, so, like, possessive of somebody that you literally abuse them Mm -hmm. for having other sorts of relationships with people, whether that be, like, platonic or whatever the fuck. I feel like... in that re- in a relationship with somebody when you're both in love with one another that feeling of love that you're having is kind of what makes you greedy is because you want to continue to feel that you, you can't get enough exactly and if you're in a healthy relationship with somebody that like it's it's a mutual goal for both of you to continue to provide that feeling for one another like you kind of have this agreement of like yes I will choose you i will Mm -hmm. do what it takes to make sure that you continue to have that feeling as long Mm -hmm. as you're reciprocating that same level of effort for me as well yeah and so does it necessarily have to be bad that you're being right it's like greed you can call it greed Mm -hmm. but i mean if you take it down to like a base level it's like it's want right Mm -hmm. which feels very human yes we want all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, and, and um, the seven deadly sins separate greed and lust, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe that's something to think about as well. If, is it, is, I would say that they both come down to wanting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to like think, oh, those two things are bad, but love is selfless and pure and good but i i think about like that's like an ideal state not like a real true human state of things i actually just had a sort of realization as you were saying that too because that's told through a religious lens yeah because that's how you're supposed to love god because god can't necessarily reciprocate the way that you would show (laughs) Oh my God! Can you fuck God? <laughs> like now, I'm like, whoa! And now I see where this therapist was going. But yeah, like, oh, it's so good. He can't reciprocate, or she can't, or they can't reciprocate in the way in the way that you are showing your love. So it has to be selfless. Well, because you're taught that God's love is self is selfless. It's right. like. Right. You can fuck up as much as you want, and God will still love you. Right. If if you repent. But, uh. like, the all of the effort is on the individual, not on God. Because God's already done all the work. Mm-hmm. God's tired. He's, yeah, they're not... He's like, yeah, I love you, but... Yep. You're gonna can have you try to, harder? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, whenever he talks about love for God, is it is literally... Faith is literally having the understanding that you may never know if what you're being told about God is true. You just have to hope that it is. 
And so that's where the selflessness comes in. But we're not, you know, so that that's how love is experienced through a religious lens. And that has been imposed upon us as individuals is like how we're supposed to love like our partners. Mm-hmm. But that's not our partner isn't God. We're not God to our partners. There has to be reciprocal effort put in. So yeah. That selflessness, I think, is redefined in those efforts that we were talking about of like, I love you, you love me, we both want to continue feeling this kind of feeling for one another. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I can to make sure that you continue to feel loved by me. And I expect the same in return. Right. Yeah. Well, we just figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) We have solved Nietzsche's... Oh, yeah. Take Uh, that, Nietzsche. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yes. So, yeah. I I was also thinking about what you read about how, um, like, it's, uh, I can't remember exactly what you said, but, like, to the detriment of women frequently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's the, you know, that ever-existing sort of power imbalance between men and women Mm -hmm. um, because of our current societal ways Mm -hmm. aka the patriarchy Mm -hmm. um and and i think he had like a really solid point there especially probably for his time Mm -hmm. i think like what we just talked about is link it's all about reciprocity and Mm -hmm. if you can (laughs) my brain keeps throwing out like religious terminology but if you can lift if you can raise each other up (laughs) if you can (laughs) if you can like uh, elevate your partner's wants, needs, desires, um, on, up to like where you prioritize them just as much as you prioritize your own, then I think, yeah, it can be love and not just possession. But I think it's when you are like, gotcha, and we're married and you're my wife now mm-hmm. that it's, it really is like, yeah, I, I, you're, you're my object you're my thing Mm -hmm. but then all of us like book girlies love that like you're mine sort of thing (laughs) in books but like fuck a man if he ever says that in real life i know i know i mean it's like in the context where like yes i definitely am um Mm -hmm. versus like no i'm not i really like her not you (laughs) i then um i think it's like great for the bedroom bedroom talk for sure uh sure like yeah outside of it is like no bro we're not playing that game i've got flea bag on the brain have you heard the audio of him saying neil have you yeah that's the one that really got me i was like (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, father. <laughs> oh, I've heard the one too where she's like, "Yes, father," and he's just like, "Oh, fuck you fuck for you saying that." It's like that, it like it turn doesn't you. turn you on. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> Andrew Scott, you turned me on for sure." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now my Instagram feed like realizes how into Andrew Scott I am <laughs> because of Fleabag and it's like showing me him doing other things too. And I'm like, okay, yep, yep. Oh, it's spe- Andrew Scott for me. <laughs> um, speaking of like gay love and Andrew Scott, he has this new movie coming out with Paul Meskel. They play lovers and I, it's like, what is it called? Let me see real quickly. 
Something strangers. All of us strangers? Yes, yes. Uh, I was like, Andrew Scott, gay? Yes, please. (laughs) Like, you know I love explicit gay sex scenes and gay explicit gay love, so I am all about this. Okay. I am looking at it right now. I'm like, okay, how? where do I stream this? How can I watch it? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to keep an eye on Amazon for when it comes out for us to rent. And I'm going to watch it alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I know it's going to be tragic because, like, gay love is mm-hmm. always punished. <sighs> okay. <laughs> back to back to this gay love. Red, white, royal blue. <laughs> Um, so those were all the points that I had. The next thing I had were like quotes. So, um, well, the only other thing that I thought was like really incredible and loved, loved, loved it was <laughs> um, how many sort of what's it's not like a reference necessarily, but like the allegory is that is that the right thing to like Pride and Prejudice? Mm-hmm. There was um, mm-hmm. where it was like, okay, first of all, like I loved Henry in the book so much. Not the movie, um, but in the book, I was like, "Oh, sweet, precious, royal." I know Henry. I know. Um, She's but a when sweet he says his angel. favorite, yeah, yeah. But when he says his favorite book is *Pride and Prejudice*, I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> I'm done." <laughs> um, but I mean, like, there's so many parallels. It's also like an enemies to lovers, and. Mm. Alex is like Lizzie and he hates Henry who's Darcy at first and Mm -hmm. Darcy's like I'm just like too high status and um he's just a lowly American you know uh I don't know there was just so many and then they realize like Alex realizes his initial impressions of Henry were incorrect just like Lizzie realizes it about Darcy um and that uh, they're both Darcy and Henry are very kind and thoughtful and oh, I just swoon. <laughs> I'm glad we're recording this close to Valentine's Day because I think like we've done a really good job of staying on the topic of love and like mm-hmm. romantic things. Oh, yes, we um, have. We've done a good job of it. Um, I understand <clears throat> what allegory means, but for those of our listeners that wouldn't, maybe <laughs> define, define that. Okay. Um, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah. I know what that means. Let me just go ahead and Google um, the definition. (laughs) Okay. An allegory is... So maybe this isn't like... This is probably like, yes, a book. This Mm -hmm. book is an allegory, but I don't think that's what I was... I don't think I was using it correctly. So an allegory is a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. So I think like TBD on what term I was actually trying to (laughs) um, figure out there. But it's reached, not retelling, but there's just so many layers of it that feel like P&P. I agree with you, and I love that. Like, and yes, Alex is definitely Lizzie, and Henry Mm -hmm. is definitely Darcy. That's why, probably why I was like, oh, I love Henry. (laughs) (laughs) He's moody and stoic i'm so into it i think i can fix him <laughs> um, anyway okay so what were some uh, of your your favorite quotes okay so i have a few so i've got two quotes 
to read for just the pleasure of reading smutty stuff. Because you know me. I love the smut. And then my also pure moment, it was also a quote. So it's like, but bear with me because there are like a few pages. But Mm -hmm. going back to Alex's and Henry's correspondence with one another. So this is beginning with Henry to Alex, June 8th, 2020 at 3.23 p.m. Alex, I can't think of a single other way to start this email except to say, and I do hope you will forgive both my language and my utter lack of restraint. You are so fucking beautiful. I've been useless for a week, driven around for appearances and meetings, lucky if I've made a single meaningful contribution to any of them. How is a man to get anything done knowing Alex Claremont Diaz is out there on the loose? I am driven to distraction. It's all bloody useless because when I'm not thinking about your face, I'm thinking about your ass or your hands or your smart mouth. I suspect the latter is what got me into this predicament in the first place. Nobody's ever got the nerve to be cheeky to a prince except for you. The moment you called me a prick, my fate was sealed. Oh, fathers of my bloodline, oh, ye kings of old, take this crown from me, bury me in my ancestral soil. If only you had known the mighty work of thine loins would be undone by a gay heir who likes it when American boys with chin dimples are mean to him. Actually, remember those gay kings I mentioned? I feel that James I, who fell madly in love with a very fit and exceptionally dim knight at a tilting match and immediately made him a gentleman of the bedchamber, a real title, would take mercy upon my particular plight. I'll be damned, but I miss you. And then, Alex's response. Alex to Henry, June 8th, 2020, 5.02 p.m. H, are you implying that you're James the first and I'm some hot, dumb jock? I'm more than fantastic bone structure and an ass you can bounce a quarter on, Henry. Don't apologize for calling me pretty, because then you're putting me in a position where I have to apologize for saying you blew my fucking mind in L.A. and I'm going to die if it doesn't happen again soon. How's that for lack of restraint, huh? You really want to play that game with me? Listen, I'll fly to London right now and pull you out of whatever pointless meeting you're in and make you admit how much you love it when I call you baby. I'll take you apart with my teeth, sweetheart. Okay, first of all, I need to recover from that before I go on to the next next letter of correspondence between the two of them. I actually had that... um... The moment you first called me a prick, my fate was sealed. (laughs) Um, And then, like, how relatable is it? Maybe not for you, but for me. Um, But the mighty work of thine loins would be undone by a gay heir who likes it when American boys with chin dimples are mean to to him. I'm like, yeah, that does it. That would do it. I I like for someone to be a little mean to me as well. Mm-hmm. I like it because I like to be a little mean too. Yeah, and the, the banter is better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, last correspondence, and then I'll move on to the other quote uh, from Henry to Alex, June eighth, twenty twenty, seven twenty one p.m. Alex, you know 
When you go to Oxford to get a degree in English literature, as I have, <laughs> humble brag, people always want to know your fa who your favorite English author is. They press, the press team compiled a list of acceptable answers. They wanted a realist, so I suggested George Eliot. No, Eliot was actually Marianne Evans under a pen name, not a strong male author. They wanted one of the inventors of the English novel, so I suggested Daniel Defoe. No, he was a dissenter from the Church of England. At one point, I threw out Jonathan Swift just to watch the collective coronary they had at the thought of an Irish political sa uh, satirist or sat satirist. In the end, they picked uh, Dickens, which is hilarious. They wanted something less fruity than the truth. But truly, what is gayer than a woman who languishes away in a crumbling mansion wearing her wedding gown every day of her life for the drama? Love a Mrs. Havisham reference. <laughs> the fruity truth, my favorite English author is Jane Austen. So to borrow a passage from Sense and Sensibility, you want nothing but patience or give it a more fascinating name, call it hope. To, to paraphrase, I hope to see you put your green American money where your filthy mouth is soon. Yours in sexual frustration, Henry. <laughs> yeah, I love their... I love that. I know, like, even though, like, it's really, like, seductive and erotic, I am just like, huh, <laughs> like, I want somebody to talk to me like this. <laughs> Before I move I just, on, did you have any other comments? <laughs> you just have to be in, like, a long-distance secret relationship. Like, I think that's how you, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, it's all the frustration. Ugh. That's what makes it so hot. I do like to be teased. Like, <laughs> I, I like have... the chase. <laughs> so I'll take it even a step further because Scorpio, because you can build frustration without like the distance that they have between the two of them. Because I think about like this sort of idea of like being out with somebody who's like constantly whispering the things that they want to do to me in, in my ear and then being like really dominating and this was a recent thing that I was told about that I was like, I have never thought about this before, but please sign me the fuck up. Like, <laughs> making me wear a dress without underwear and, like, fingering me in public but privately. Like, oh. where people can't see. I was like, that's a thing? Like, people can do... How do you do that? I want right. to know how to do that. Like, so I was like, that's just me being really vulgar for a second of like yeah there's ways to build frustration without the distance but i just yeah. need to find a person that's like wanting to do that with me true true now i'm at a loss for words um <laughs> you're welcome is this now something that you would like to have done to you too <laughs> no comment um. <laughs> so, megan's like i'm a libra we do not reveal Ugh. these things to anybody. We flirt, but we keep it close to the to the vest, okay? <laughs> and I'm like Scorpio. I'm like, fuck me in public. <laughs> <laughs> like, make it known that I am yours. <laughs> Dirty talk, but no feelings, please. <laughs> <clears throat> oh my god, that is like quintessential libra right there <laughs> dirty talk but no feelings no feelings for me please oh and that's definitely some gemini moon shit coming through oh yeah 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 <laughs> i'm like dirty talk all the feelings all the feelings all the dirty talk 
So what's next? Is it our so pure? <laughs> no, I have one more quote, and then I've got another quote for also pure. But this is another smutty quote that I okay. wanted to, you know, just like <laughs> over. So context: Henry is in love with Alex. And he doesn't think that he deserves love in return from Alex. So when Alex admits to him that he's falling in love with him, Henry is like, ha I don't have feelings. Uh, I'm going to go hide. <laughs> and so yeah. he's essentially mm -hmm. trying to ghost Alex. And Alex is like, I think the fuck not. If you're going to mm -hmm. reject me, you're going to do it in person. Okay, pause. Is Henry a Libra? Hmm. <laughs> or a Gemini? <laughs> i don't like, know because i would say i wouldn't say he's like as i almost want to say he's like a cancer or something uh, you well, know like close really tight-lipped until he's in the relationship and then he's like yeah i but i i don't know a cancer wouldn't run away like that maybe he's like a libra moon I would, that's actually what I was just thinking. Too. I think, yeah, I I accept a Cancer Sun Libra moon. Yes, yes, he's baby. Uh huh. Okay, so Alex is like, no, you're not gonna ghost me if you want me. If you don't want to be with me anymore, you're gonna have to say that shit to my fucking face. So this is his confrontation. Like he literally flies to England. It's raining, of course. And He's, I love it, but I'm also like, oh, you just like, are like, yeah, I'm going to fly over there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get on a plane and fly over there. That is me. I would do that. Oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> that ticket probably cost like. <laughs> Not for him. Like, He's the first son of the president. So I know. I know. I'm like the privilege inherent in this relationship. <laughs> yes. God. But I mean, for me, like the if like not from this privileged like we're the first son and the prince of England sort of perspective, but yeah, like from just my like lowly middle class American financial status, socioeconomic status, I would be like, it's an investment in my future with this person. It is worth it, and I would show up. And I'd do be you like, think... you're going to have to say that shit to my fucking face, bro. But do you think Alex would do it if he didn't believe that Henry would, like, if, like, I think he, I think he is, like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to break up with me. Like, he's I would gonna, have the same confidence. I, I'm like, going to win him back. <laughs> I'd have this, I'd have to have the same confidence to do it, too. Like, if yeah. I, if I knew that this person just didn't want me anymore, uh, uh -huh. I would suffer in silence and, and, um, yeah, there would be a lot of lamenting. <laughs> would not fly across the Atlantic. No, no, no. <laughs> for rejection. <laughs> no, 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 no. My rejection sensitivity could never. No. Could no. never. You'd have to carry me out of the palace. <laughs> You have destroyed me. Pick my pick up my pieces and put me in my duffel bag and like ship me back. Cause I can't. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna read the passage now. I can't stop laughing about that though. Okay. 
Okay, so Alex, Henry. Alex is wet from the rain, <laughs> and he's telling Henry, I'll leave, he says, and he turns back and leans in as soon as you tell me to leave. Alex. He's in Henry's face now. If he's getting his heart broken tonight, he's sure as hell going to make Henry have the guts to do it right. Tell me you're done with me. I'll get back on the plane. That's it. And you can live here in your tower and be miserable forever. Write a whole book of a sad fucking poems about it. Whatever. Just say it. Fuck you, Henry says, his voice breaking. And he gets, full, he gets a handful of Alex's shirt collar. And Alex knows he's going to love this stubborn shithead forever. Tell me, he says, a ghost of a smile around his lips to leave. He feels before he registers being shoved backwards into a wall and Henry's mouth is on his, desperate and wild. The faint taste of blood blooms on his tongue and he smiles as he opens to push it, pushes it into Alex or Henry's mouth, tugs at his hair with both hands. Henry groans and Alex feels it in his spine. They grapple along the wall until Henry physically picks him up off of the floor and staggers backwards towards the bed. Alex bounces when his back hits the mattress and Henry stands over him for several breaths, staring. Alex would give anything to know what's going on through that fucking head of his. He realizes suddenly Henry's crying. He swallows. That's the thing. He doesn't know. He's baby. Know. Sorry. He's baby. <laughs> Why is he so baby? <laughs> he doesn't know if this is supposed to be some kind of consummation or if it's one last time. He doesn't think he could go through with it if he knew it was the latter, but he doesn't want to go home without having this. Come here. He fucks Henry slow and deep. And as, and if it's as if it's the last time, sorry, I couldn't get it out. I'm so into this. Okay, they go down shivering and gasping and epic, all wet mouths and wet eyelashes. And Alex is a cliche on an ivory bedspread and he hates himself, but he's so in love. He's in stupid, unbearable love. And Henry loves him too. And at least for one night, it matters, even if they both have to pretend to forget in this forget this in the morning. Henry comes with his face turned into Alex's open palm, his bottom lip catching on the knob of his wrist, and Alex tries to mem memorize every detail down to how his lashes fan across his cheeks and the pink flush that spreads all the way up to his ears. He tells his too, f or he tells his too fast brain, don't miss it this time. He's too important. It's pitch black outside when Henry's bodily, body finally subsides and the room is impossibly quiet, the fire gone out. Alex rolls over onto his side and touches two fingers to his chest, right next to where the, uh, the key on the chain rests. His heart is beating the same as ever under his skin. He doesn't know how that can be true. It's a long stretch of silence before Henry shifts in the bed beside him and rolls onto his back, pulling a sheet over them. Alex reaches for something to say, but there's nothing. Like, I was sobbing when I read this. I know, like, earlier you used, um, the, you said, I need to read these, like, smutty passages. <laughs> and, like, this one's, like, definitely sexy because they're fucking, but, like, mm -hmm. it's so romantic to I me. I know! Like, and, like, I wouldn't call this smut. 
I would just be like, this is fucking romance. I think, okay, I personally think romance and smut can be one in one. You know, like you can be fucking filthy in bed, but it still be romantic as fuck because like there's something about being choked and someone telling you, look at me. That's very romantic to me. It doesn't, it's not, it's not for me, but... I don't think that like I'm I, I don't think we have to agree on that. <laughs> no, of course um, not. But yes, I, but, I'm with you. This is romantic as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um anytime like you're fucking and you're like, God, look at his eyelashes. I'm like, that's that's romance. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the the part that I like bracketed was he fucks Henry slow and deep and if it's the last time they go down shivering and gasping and epic all wet mouths and wet eyelashes and Alex is a cliche on an ivory bedspread and he hates himself but he's so in love he's in yeah. stupid unbearable love and Henry loves him too and at least for one night it matters even if they both have to pretend to forget in, in the morning yeah sobbing that's like <sighs> that's like hopeless romantic like mm-hmm. just I could die happy afterwards, you know? Like, if mm -hmm. this is the end, like, l just take me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The drama. The drama. It's like, so they... gay. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. It's so gay. <laughs> and because um, we're gay, it is romantic it, it as is fuck to us, too. so gay. So, so like... Gay. <laughs> it's not, like, unrequited, it, but it's, like... um doomed you know like the yeah. the doomed aspect of it all star-crossed lovers oh it's so gay um but it's so good <laughs> and i just yeah that whole scene everything about it and like he's wet from the rain i'm sorry like <laughs> <laughs> and henry is crying uh-huh uh-huh there's right there's literally rainwater and tears happening right now so it doesn't get much more romantic than that um so yeah, i true. love that so true <laughs> okay Whew. now we have truth universally acknowledged mm -hmm. also pure and our ratings mm -hmm. left yes <laughs> i ask you megan what is your truth universally acknowledged? Okay. So, you know, sometimes I like to, like, pull a quote, but I felt mm -hmm. like there was just, um, like, this overarching, like, message, almost. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it was, like, be prepared to be very wrong about people and, like, even very wrong about yourself. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, just from, like... Alex's point of view, like very wrong about Henry, a big misunderstanding of like who he is and who what he wants in life, and then like mm -hmm. even Henry, who like knows himself very well, mm -hmm. doesn't I think see the like bravery in him like it that exists until like Alex pulls it to the surface, um, and he like stands up to his grandmother and to his mom and all of the things. So that's yeah, my um, truth universally acknowledged. You should have gone last because I'm not even going to do mine now. That was too good. 
<laughs> like I'm like you kind of blew my mind if I'm being honest and I don't think I can top that so I'm not gonna try Mm-mm. that's okay that's okay yeah I mean I yeah. love winning so <laughs> <sighs> okay Ooh. so my also pure moment is a quote and it's like two pages long so do you want to go first Sure. My So Pure is a quote. It's not two pages long, but it did like lead me off out of this book and into like some other things. So um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that they, one of the quotes they, I think Henry includes at the end of an email is from Allen Ginsberg to Peter Orlovsky. And it's, though I long for the actual sunlight contact between us, I miss you like a home. Shine back, honey, and think of me. And I was, I like, I just get chills every time I read it because it's so delicate and pure and like, I don't know. I just love it. And I love that it's Ginsburg and Orlovsky too, because they had like a very rebellious sort of love in my opinion, like at the, for at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it made me look into their relationship a little bit more. And there's this other passage that had gave me sort of like all the same feelings. Not passage, it's a letter. And um, I'm going to read it now. So it's um, from Allen Ginsberg. I'm making it all right here, but I miss you. Your arms and nakedness and holding each other. Life seems emptier without you. The soul warmth isn't around. I have been running around with mad, mean poets and world eaters here and was longing for kind words from heaven, which you wrote, came as fresh as summer breeze and, quote, when I think on thee, dear friend, all losses are restored and sorrows end, came over and over in my mind. It's the end of a Shakespeare sonnet. He must have been happy in love, too. I had never realized that before. Write me soon, baby. I'll write you a big, long poem I feel as if you were God that I pray to. Love, Alan. Like Megan, what? I can't do. I can't even. I can't do my also pure moment now. Like, oh my god, that was perfect. Like, I'm like, no, no, no notes, nothing further. Like, oh, beauty. So it's like, that, I'm like, it's beauty. It's so oh beauty. My god. I'm in like, I'm enraptured right now. And I'm also like committed to like, I'm gonna write my friends love letters now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just. Write your friends love letters, people. Yeah, right? Like, embody some poetry that you really like. And now, now I'm like, I need to read more Ginsberg. Um, <laughs> but just to, like, imagine getting that in the mail. Like, fuck. Uh, right? That's like, oh my gosh. Like, I was literally, literally, like, I had my hands over my mouth the entire time you were reading. Because I was just like, ah! <laughs> like, pterodactyl noise. Oh, gay gasp. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just, I can't even top that. That's so beautiful. <laughs> it was. And I, I like, love that that probably also lives in Henry's head when he thinks about Alex. <sighs> okay. Well, now I just have, like, one other thing to add to my list of, like, needs and wants for when I'm in love. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I know. Swoon. I, for real. Make me swoon. Where's the yearning? Where's the mm-hmm. pining? Like, ugh. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now you're raging, Megan. 
Okay, my rating is like, ugh, like an eight and a half. Oh. Okay. I'm in like a lovey-dovey mood. <laughs> I yes, I um I get that. I like and like I said, I have like a very complicated relationship with love right now. So mm. there uh I think I rated this when I was like on the bitter bitter end of the love spectrum. Yeah. Cuz I was like I I was like a 7.75. <laughs> But oh my gosh, I, I don't know. think it's ever happened where I've rated something higher than you. I'm always, like, way more critical. <laughs> I know. And, like, but the thing is, is, like, now that, you, like, we've been reading aloud, like, love letters to one another, essentially, like, <laughs> I'm so influenced where I'm just, like, no, like, <laughs> I'm on, like, the happy end of the love spectrum right now, so I'm, yeah. like, no, give it, give it a nine. <laughs> like, but I, I'm going to stick with my 7.7 7, um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I don't really like I don't think I had any other reason other than I was like feeling a little bitter at a certain point where I was like mm. and also I do wish that they had explored like the more internalized homophobia that Alex and Henry were going through just because it definitely has a message of like love is love and we need to be accepting of it regardless but mm -hmm. uh i think if they wrote a second book that explored henry and alex's relationships with themselves and one another like i think that it would be like perfect i, I think um... it would be like all encompassing of the like harm that happens in like gay love i think so too and i think like it wraps it up like you know sometimes i don't like things to be wrapped up with like a tidy little bow like if i want that i'm gonna read a fantasy novel you know yeah like mm -hmm. real life is much more challenging mm -hmm. um and i get that this is like a romance novel at its heart so mm -hmm. i i understand the i understand it but i don't mm -hmm. necessarily respect it <laughs> yeah yeah um, i get it it's like life is messy and let's let it be that way don't give yeah, us unrealistic expectations by tying everything in a bow yeah yeah sometimes you want the warm and fuzzy to like feel good but i feel like the book has enough of that that like mm -hmm. a real ending is there you know could be there without mm -hmm. it feeling like Ah, oh, what the fuck? Not that I'm yeah. saying like they shouldn't end up, they wouldn't end up together because I, I like that conclusion a lot and I like oh, them yeah. being out a lot. But I want to, yeah, I guess I just want to know more about them processing, like you said, the internalized homophobia, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, I, one of the reasons I took off a point too was this like, if we just vote, we can make a difference and it didn't really like explore that part of mm -hmm. American politics. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was very superficial. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I wish that part had been like a little more real because it was very yeah. much like, it's my mom and she's the right candidate and she's a good person. Mm -hmm. Not like the Democratic Party has like a ton of fucking flaws. Um, yeah. And the Republican Party is like pure evil. You know, yeah. I, I just... Anyway, I know that wasn't the point of the book, but that is why I took a point off. Yeah, I, but 
I kind of think it is. Like, they said, like, when we go back to the first sentence, like, this is a very politically heavy-handed book. Yeah, you're, I mean, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Like, there's um, a message in it of, like, love is love. Love wins. And, yeah, exactly. And we need to stop, like, with the, le- like, legislation that makes it not so. Right. And so, yes, yeah, I agree with you on that, too. Yeah. Um, So anyway. Yeah. Stay curious. And keep, like, (laughs) stay by curious. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Perfect. Perfect. No notes. No notes. (laughs) Okay. This has been um, Bibliophilia Season 2, Episode 1. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> no, you're fine. It's messy. It's fine. We're, life is messy. We're messy. We're human. <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.